Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, all praise and love and reverence is due to Allah, the Lord the Lord of the of all of the exist. Um Muhammad Okay, so this is part two of the hadith that we covered, which was the first attempt or Abu Bakr's first uh, migration attempt. Is it migration or immigration? Abu Bakr's first Hijra attempt. I think they use immigration, but migration I believe anyway. Abu Bakr's first Hijra attempt. Okay. Um, so we covered the hadith and translated it and brought some benefits, but we wanted to bring some other benefits. Like we said, this is untranslated Islam. So we wanted to bring some untranslated benefits from the hadith. But I'm going to go through the hadith again quickly. So because we're going to reference points of the hadith as we're going, just in case you didn't see or don't have access or time to see part one right now. Okay. So in this hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu said, and it can be found in Bukhari. Uh, narrated Aisha, I should say. Aisha radiallahu anha said, Lam illa wa yadina, That as far back as I could remember, as far back as my memory serves me, as long as I can remember, both my parents, which was Umruman, Abu Bakr and Umruman, that was her parents' names, Abu Bakr and Umruman. So she said, as far back as I have a memory, they've always been two upstanding, righteous, practicing religious people. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, in another narration, Aisha said, uh, which is probably pretty much similar to it. Same thing. She's continued on. And there wasn't a single day that ever passed in my life when I was living with my, with my, with my parents, except that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, would visit us two times a day, in the morning time, in the beginning of the day, and then in the end of the day. All right. And she said, uh, So when the 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 persecution of the Muslims, the religious persecution in Mecca, that like when it became very, very intense, then Abu Bakr made a decision that he was going to make Hijra or migrate to Habasha. And that was the place that all the Muslims were migrating at the time. So they, <clears throat> So you can go back to the other thing and we'll get some details about um, how many times they went there and what made them come back and this and that. But so this was after the second time that the Muslims had started to go back there. Then he made a decision that he was going to go there also. Okay, because of all the persecution. Until when he was traveling to seek to go to Habasha, and Habasha is known kind of as Ethiopia now. When he was on his way there, five nights travel in, he came to a place called Barqal Ghimad. And there he met Ibn Daghina. And Ibn Daghina was the chief of the tribe of Qara, which were known for their excellence in spear throwing and archery. So he said, where, where are you going? Where, where are you headed to, Abu, Abu Bakr? Because Abu Bakr wasn't known for traveling that far away. He handled his business in close proximity to where he lived. 
So he's traveling and he's looking like he's going somewhere and he's five nights to travel in. So where are you going, Abu Bakr? فقال أبو بكر أخرجني قومي فأنا أريد أن أسيح في الأرض أعبد ربي. He said, Abu Bakr said, that my, the persecution that we're going through, the religious persecution in Mecca has driven me out of my home. My family or my people have driven me out of my homeland. And so I just want to travel around and see, is this some place? Where I can worship my Lord. So he didn't say specifically, I'm going to Habasha because he don't know where Ibn Duggan's position is going to be. Ibn Duggan is not Muslim. That's what's the most important point in this hadith is, is to let you know Ibn Duggan is not Muslim. Normal person didn't accept the, the way of the, of the Prophet Sallallahu As far as we know, he died not accepting the way of the Prophet Sallallahu But he realized the qualities of Abu Bakr and was like, nah, this is this nah. So anyway, so he said, Abu Bakr said, so I'm going to see if I can just kind of travel around hither and thither to see if I can find a place to worship my Lord in peace. All right. So immediately, Ibn Duggana said, Call Ibn Duggana in the لا يخرج ولا يخرج فإنك Abu Duggan said immediately he said a person like you should not have to leave his homeland nor should he be uh, driven out of his homeland فإنك تكسب المعدوم وتصل الرحم وتحمل الكل وتقرئ الضيف وتعين على النوائب الحق وأنا لك جار فرجع فعبد ربك في بلدك في بلادك Okay, so Ibn Duggan immediately responded very uh, 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 bothered by what he had just heard. And he said, a man like you should neither neither have to leave his homeland nor be forced out of his homeland for, homeland for verily. And then he mentioned five things. He said, verily, because you give opportunity to those in need to earn a respectable living and you keep good ties with your kith and kin. And you give to help the poor and needy and you give food and shelter to guests in your land and you go out your way to assist those who have fallen on hard times. He said, so I will stand in. I will put my name and reputation in support of you. I'll give you a pledge or uh, go to them and put my pledge, a pledge or a promise of protection so that you can stay and worship your Lord in your own land. فَرْتَحَلَ إِبْنُ دَغِنَا فَرَجَعَ مَا أَبُو فَرَجَعَ مَا أَبُو بَكْرِ مَا أَبِي بَكْرِ So Ibn Duggan has stopped what he was doing and he traveled back five nights of travel with Abu Bakr to go back to Mecca in order to make sure he deli delivered this message. And so he went looking for the chiefs of Quraysh. And he said to them, That a person like Abu Bakr, he shouldn't have to leave his homeland, nor should he have to be uh, forced out of his homeland. Uh, do you do you have the audacity to uh, to drive out someone who excuse <clears throat> me you have a, the, the audacity to drive out someone who gives opportunity to those in need to earn respectable living and who keeps good ties with his kith and kin and he gives to help the poor the poor and the needy and he gives food and shelter to the guests in the land and he goes out his way to assist those who have fallen on hard times uh, hold on a second. So Quraysh, they the, the, the tribes of, of the Arabs, they were they were they had some good qualities to them in those times. So I'm not gonna get into all that. We'll get into it later. But the point is, so they realized they were in the wrong, they knew they were in the wrong from the gate. So they agreed to accept the pledge of protection from Abu Bakr, and they said that Abu Bakr, I mean from, from Ibn Dagina. 
So the pledge of Ibn Dughin for Abu Bakr, because they didn't want any trouble between the tribes, and they allowed and said that they would give safety to Abu Bakr to live without being persecuted. Waqalu, but they said, Qalu li Ibn Dughina Mur Aba Bakr but he said, all right, we'll agree. But you tell, go back and you go past Abu Bakr, which shows that Abu Bakr and the tribes of Quraysh, they, uh, the chiefs of Quraysh, they weren't talking to each other at all. So he had, Ibn Duggan had to be the middle person. So he said, you go back to Abu Bakr and you tell him, no problem. He can worship his Lord as long as he does it in his home, in his own quarters. And he can read, pray, and make salat, and read as much as Quran or recite as much Quran as he wants in his home quarters. But don't harm us. Don't bother us or annoy us with that. And then he, they say, why? <clears throat> don't make it jahar don't Don't broadcast what you're doing. Because we're scared that if our wives and children hear this, they'll be affected by it. They'll be affected by it, which shows that they knew that what he was doing and saying was the truth. But you know how it is. Big chief men, absolute corrupt, corrupt, what is it? Corruption, absolute, absolute power corrupts absolutely. When they're in a power like that, they keep them in the, in, in, the, in, in the dark so they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. And they do what they do in order to stay in power. So they don't want their women and children to hear this. Okay. Call it that Ibn Dagina li Abi Bakr. So Ibn Dagina went and he relayed that message to Abu Bakr. Now recognize he didn't say it like it was a condition at this time. They just said, look, just go and tell them that we don't want them doing that. Okay. So, uh, Abu Bakr. يعبد ربه في داره ولا يستع ولا يستعلن بالصلاة ولا القراءة في غير داره. Okay, so Abu Bakr returned home and he started praying and he started to read or recite Quran in his home quarters, no problem. Okay, so then something happened. A period of time happened after a period of time, and like we said, بدأ لأبي بكر فبتنا مسجدا بفناء داره. But then after a period of time, Abu Bakr was a man who had, you know, he had some wealth. So connected to his home was a, a portion of land that was his. And most likely it was walled off because the way that they describe it, it had to be walled off because of what happened afterward. So it was his quarter, home quarter still, but it's a wall around it or whatever uh, structure around it. And it's land and then his home. So he decided to come out to his courtyard. And to build a place to worship, a place like he said, masjidan, but masjidan can mean masjid or it can mean makan sujood, okay, like a mihrab. So it can be just a place where he set up a nice, beautiful place for him to worship at. So he made a masjid bifinat idarihi in the courtyard of his own home. And then he came out there and that's where he started to pray at, okay, so he can get some, some space or whatever. So then he began to pray there regularly. Can you salifi? Well, yakra ul Quran, and he will recite the Quran, you know, to write it, recite it, you know, with a voice. He wasn't whispering it. Fa yatakosafu alayhi nisa ul mushrikin wa abna uhum. So when the 
the the woman and the children of the Mushrikeen started to hear this, they started to gather outside of his wall without him knowing and started to listen to his Quran. And as we'll see later on, yet the Qasaf means like Yazdahim, it means like they all came like crowded to the point that they were like over each other trying to listen, following each other quietly, trying to listen and eavesdropping and peeking in to see what's going on. And they're hearing this beautiful Quran and what it's talking about. And they understand it. They're not like us. They understand it and understand the Fasih, the, 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 the richness of the language so they understand what's going on and know that this is no kaul bashar this is no statement from no mankind i mean from from no person from mankind this is something beautiful and amazing all right they were amazed by it and they started to peek and eavesdrop and look in there to see what he doing and then aisha said abu bakr rajulan and then Aisha said, as a side point, and Abu Bakr was a person, was a man, a man. He said, Rajula. Uh, it wasn't like this some soft punk. He was a man in his all in all right, but he was a man that was a soft-hearted man, and so he cried when something touched him. When something touched his heart, he cried. And so when he recited the Quran, he couldn't control his tears. And like we said before, then this is a, this is the way that we're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be wailing. The Prophet said for being wailing in any situation. But you're supposed to hold back your sound and and tears are supposed to be coming. Like Allah described the people of the scriptures from before us when they hear the Quran. You didn't see him start like something jumped in him. But you look at him and you see their eyes flowing profusely with tears because of how it touched their heart. So he would be like that. But like the Prophet ﷺ was described, when they got to the point where they couldn't hold it back anymore, it said that the Prophet used to sound like a kettle uh, or, or, or a pot on on fire, a pot of water on fire with a top on it. So when the, you know how it starts to like it bubbling over? That's how it would sound when he would cry. So Abu Bakr is reciting the Quran and he's, and he's crying and they realize there's nothing like hearing a man cry. But a man doesn't cry like he cries in Salat in any other situation usually. All right. So the whole point is. So when the 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 people of Quraysh or the chiefs of Quraysh heard about this and it was going on apparently for some time because it affected their women and children it was going on some period of time before they found out then they had to send for Abu Dhabi they didn't just go and say no nah, we ain't done with this we we the, the the Arab they were very serious about about a pledge so they had to send for Ibn Dhabi and remember he might have been five nights away or whatever so somebody had to go for five nights get him bring him back five nights so that's ten nights they didn't say nothing to Abu Bakr he's still going and doing what he got to do until they sent for, Abu, for, for Ibn Dagina and got Ibn Dagina to come back. All right? So, فَأَرْسَلُوا إِلَىٰ إِبْنِ الدَّغِنَةِ فَقَدِمَ عَلَيْهِمْ فَقَالُوا لَهُ إِنَّا كُنَّا أَجَرْنَا أَبَا بَكْرَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَعْبُدَ رَبَّهُ فِي دَارِهِ وَإِنَّهُ جَاوَزَ ذَلِكَ فَبْتَنَا مَسْجِدًا بِفِنَاءِ دَارِهِ وَأَعْلِنَ الصَّلَاةِ وَالْقِرَاءَ وَقَدْ خَشِيْنَا أَنْ يَفْتِنَ أَبْنَاءَنَا وَنِسَاءَنَا Okay, let's stop here. He said, so, they sent for Ibn al-Daghina. And then they said to him, you, we gave you a pledge of protection for Abu Bakr on condition, and he's saying this condition, on condition that Abu Bakr worshipped his Lord 
in the, they didn't say this. They said in his home quarters. Then they saying inside of his home. And he's he's broken that trust or, or, or that condition. And he's built a masjid or a place to worship right in the finat of his dad in his courtyard. And he's reciting his salat and reciting his Quran loud and, and, and a loud enough voice that the, the voice or the sound is traveling out and it's causing or affecting the hearts of our women and our children. Okay, so they said, so you go to Abu Bakr, still they're not talking to him because of the respect that they have for that, for that pledge. So they're not talking to him. They say, you go to Abu Bakr and you tell him that if he stops this and goes into the confounds of the walls of his home and continue to worship his Lord there, then he can do it. But if he doesn't and if he or if he refuses to do that, then we need you to take your pledge of protection back. For verily, we don't want it to be a situation where we have to break this pledge and it's bad for us and bad for you because we're breaking the pledge of someone of high status. And because of the fact that when we break the pledge, it shows that your pledge must not be as strong as people thought it was your pledge of protection. That is. And he says, and so uh, we don't want to break that pledge, but we will not tolerate him making uh, 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 spreading this Quran, this Quran, these these words of Quran everywhere for everybody, for our women and children to hear. All right. So it showed you that they understood the power of the Quran. Call it Aisha too. فَأَتَى مِنُ الدَّغِنَ أَبَى بَكْرٍ فَقَالَ قَدْ عَلِمْتَ الَّذِي عَقَدْتُ لَكَ عَلَيْهِ So Ibn Dagina went back to Aisha. I went back to Abu Bakr and said. <coughs> You know what I agree with them upon. Uh, Alright, so he said, you know what I agreed upon. And, uh, you know, or what they said that they wanted you to do. He said, and now they're having a problem with the fact that you did this in your courtyard. He says, so either you're going to have to go back in the confounds of your home in a, in a, in a you know, uh, inside of your home and the, the walls of your home, or they want me to, they want you to return your pledge of protection to me um, because they don't want it to be a problem with this pledge or with a situation where this chief and these chiefs, there was a pledge made and somebody broke it. So it shows that these chiefs are breaking the pledge and this chief, apparently his pledge is not so strong. He says, so I don't, I don't want to have to be in that situation. So either you have to go back in your home or it's going to, or you're going to have to return my pledge. All right. So call Abu Bakr. Inni aruddu jiwarak. So Abu Bakr thought and said, I'm going to uh, revoke or renege on my pledge of protection from you. And I'm going to trust and be pleased and satisfied with the protection of Allah upon me. All right. So he put himself and his family back into a difficult situation. Even be Mecca. 
قد قد أريت دار هجرتكم رأيت سبخة ذات نخل بين لابتين وهما الحراتان الحراتان So Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم around that time after things got you know he, he reneged it and so okay he had to deal with difficulty again Abu Bakr but then right around that time the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was in Mecca and he said verily I've been shown like in a dream or in a vision like this I've been shown the land that we're going to make hijra to okay the land that we're going to make officially home for the muslims he said all right i saw a sabakha bati nakhla baina labatain wa hum alharatan okay so he said that he saw this description and the description was a salty land and it was palm trees planted palm trees there and it was between two mountains and those two mountains were the two haras uh which were famous to the arabs فهاجر من هاجر قبل المدينة حين ذكر ذلك الرسول ذكر ذلك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. So as soon as the Prophet ﷺ made that announcement, the Muslims that were being persecuted they started to prepare to sneak away and travel there in in, in small groups or in, you know family by family or whatever they started to travel over and make the hijra or migration to Medina. ورجع إلى المدينة بعض من كان هاجر إلى أرض الحبشة. And some of the people who had even went to Ethiopia and had been living there for some time, they started to make hijrah from there because there it was a, a good Christian king. As you guys know, it was a good Christian king, the Najashi. And Najashi is not his name. Um, in, in the hadith, they'll, they'll name someone by their title, like Kisra wa Kaysar and Najashi and Fir'aun even because it's talking about that status of position that they have, position that they have but it's not their names, it's their titles. So Najashi or the Negus is what they call the leader of Ethiopia or Habasha. Okay, the Negus. Um, but the point is, is, is that it was a Christian land, but there was a land that once they heard about the Prophet Sallallahu and about the message of the Quran, they said that this is too, this we know that this has to be correct and true. So they have safety in our land uh, in order to practice their religion. So the Najashi uh, of that time, he ended up becoming Muslim, but the people around him didn't become Muslim. And so when he died, um, the Prophet Sallallahu made Salat al-Ghaib Made made the the the, the janazah prayer or the funeral prayer for called the called the the prayer for the one who didn't have it was like oh um it's like for the person who who didn't have anybody to pray for them basically and so the point is he became Muslim but it wasn't a Muslim land so the people from Habasha started to come over to Medina in order to live their life in peace their Islamic life in peace in a Muslim uh. A Muslim state. وَتَهَجَّزَ أَبُو بَكْرِ مُهَاجِرًا فَقَالَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَلَى رِسْلِكَ فَإِنِّي أَرْجُ أَنْ يُؤْذَنَ لِي So Abu Bakr began to prepare himself again so that he could go and make hijrah because it's too difficult to live in Mecca at the time. So he prepared himself to go make hijrah to Medina. And then that's when the Prophet Sallallahu said, take it easy, just hold on. Well, the Muslims that were trying to go could go and then he would be the last one. So he said, I'm, I have a hope that it's coming, that's about to happen pretty soon. Qala Abu Bakr, hal tarju thalika bi abi anta? Bi abi anta? He said, do you, do you really? You, you're hoping this? My, my father be ransomed for you? Now, 
The Prophet ﷺ said, yes. فَحَبَسَ أَبُوْ بَكْرِ نَفْسَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ حَبَسَ نَفْسَهُ Shows that it wasn't, diff- it wasn't easy, that's difficult. Okay, it's like when you got to hold yourself back and wait because it was difficult what they were going through as far as the persecution. But for the sake of, of being able to leave with Rasulullah and being his companion in this travel, he حَبَسَ نَفْسَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ لِيَصْحَبَهُ uh, in order to be his companion when he decided or when he was given permission to make hijra and he had two camels or riding beasts and he made sure that they were fed from this specific uh, special tree um, for four months so he had to wait for four months after he said this before they were able to actually make hijra all right so this is a story there's, there's about the first attempt of the Prophet Abu Bakr to make Hijra. And then after that, and like I said, it's going to be found in Bukhari. So it's totally Sahih. Um, and then after that, <clears throat> what happened as they made the Hijra? Okay. So now I want to get into some benefits from this. Uh, All right. So six of benefit um, from this. He said that one of the points of benefit from this was So one of the most important benefits of this is the importance of two parents living their lives properly and righteously and how it builds the personality, a good personality, a good character in the children that are under them. Okay, so في أول في أول أمره بين أبوين مسلمين في بيت مسلم وأن هذه النشأة لها أثر بالغ عليه في المستقبل. So it shows the importance of raising children being raised of parents living good righteous lives, being righteous parents, righteous people, and children being raised up witnessing that. He said, because that situation of seeing that a household or a house where that happens, it has a lasting effect on the people who live or the children who live in that type of situation. So it's important. Like I said, everything I bring, I'm trying to bring stuff that we apply to our lives immediately, okay? So the importance of us doing that, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the importance of us living our lives, uh, boy, I just, sorry, I just lost my spot. The importance of us living our lives righteously is not just for us, but it's also for our children. Allah Jalla says we're supposed to make a dua. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun. Waja'alna lilmuttaqina imama. We say we, and those who make dua saying, Oh Allah, hablana, uh, 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 grant us from our wives and our children. Those who will be coolish to our eyes because they carry themselves in a way that's pleasing to you. And make us for the imam, for the muttaqeen imams. Okay? So the point is that we're supposed to make sure we show that good example. Allah gives a command. Alright? Allah says, He says, Oh, you who believe, save yourselves and your family. From the hellfire whose fuel is man and sulfur stones or man and stones. Musa Ulamah say that the stones are sulfur stones. The sulfur stone, you know what this is? Kibrit. The sulfur stone is the thing that's at the tip of the match. Then when you burn it, how it lights up and it burns. So 
the fuel for the fire is going to be these stones because they burn so well and human bodies because they burn so well in the fire. And it's time that they burn, they're going to be replaced and be replaced. May Allah keep us away from the hellfire. So he gives this description because what, look what he connected. And then the opposite. Immediately, your heart, if you're filling it with your heart, like I said, we have to fill this stuff. You're grouping my family and fire whose who's fuel is, is 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 humans and stones, I need to keep my family far away from that, okay? So he put that deer like that, one of the hekmas, is so you feel the contrast and say, I don't want my family anywhere next to that, all right? So the whole point is, is that he tells us to save ourselves and our families, and then the opposite, he says, Okay, he says, um, say the believe say the, the other believers say, and another person he says, Kul, see you say in the Khasini verily, the ones who are the greatest losers are those who cause loss to themselves and to their families on that day. Um being great verily that is the greatest, greatest or uh, most clearest loss. Can you imagine? Hashirillah, may Allah keep us far away from that. You know him because you live wrong, and people are looking at well, that's you the was you know two was the old club, but no bear burns can bear the burden of another. No, that's when you're talking about people outside of you. And even with that, Allah Jalla says, "What taku fitna to see ben the levina valamu minkum khasa." And fear the fitna, no, it only it don't only hit the person who's doing wrong, but it affects the ones that surround them. Okay, so if that's the people outside, then what about your family? To be able to uh, to have to, can you imagine having to see your child getting locked up for something that you did, or your child getting shot? The situations that's happened when we grow up, where somebody in a car and somebody come past and just let off bullets, and dude don't get killed, he just hurt, but his daughter got killed in the back, and it's like, yo, how you even live with that? Your daughter's in the back, your son is in the back of the car, and they come and brap. And you know, it's something you did and it came back on you and your daughter and son is killed before because of that. How do how, you, you people who know, you know how to you, you can sympathize, not empathize. You can at least sympathize because you've seen it. Right, you ain't you've seen how that looks when that happens. You've seen how the grandmom and the granddad and that father and those children cry. And you see like the, the feeling that, you know, that's because of me. That's because of me. Yo, word up, when I saw, well, I ain't going to get in that. I ain't going to get in that because I want y'all to go looking that up. But the whole point is that it's the most clear situation when you see somebody at a funeral doing, going through the, the, the thing because they got to go. And you can see in their face, they know they're the ones who caused this to have all these people, including themselves, lose this loved one. So now imagine your Mokiyama and there's nothing in comparison to this. The one, the worst one, or the one who has the greatest loss, the one that Khasidu and Fusahum wa Alihim Yom al They lost not just for themselves, they got to see their families, their wives, their children being thrown into the fire because what they did wrong. Their grandchildren, their great grandchildren, they didn't get they didn't meet, get thrown into the fire because they set a bad example. So, so the point is, is that the juxtaposition of that is to make sure that we live righteous and we have right, righteous family. And if somebody, Allah decrees or he decrees, Noah was one of the most righteous, Kana Abdin Shakura, one of the Shakura, he was one of the most righteous of all. And still he had a wife and a son that went astray. Different people, it happened, but you know that you did your duty and you tried to save them all the way to the end. 
Then Abu Bakr, I mean, the Prophet himself had Abu Talib, the one who was the best for him, did all he could, but he couldn't save him. But like he said, when they tried to make mockery of him, the Quraysh said, well, how special are you? You couldn't even say your old, your old uncle. He said, I did do something special for my uncle. He said, because of, because of who I am, I made prayer and dua for him. If I didn't make that dua, he would be in the lowest place of the hellfire because he knew what was right. He said, but instead, by my dua, my, my, uh, my shafa'a, my, my intercession, He'll be in the highest level of the hellfire. And that's one of the special uh, intercessions that was called for the prophet that he made dua. Not, he can't get him out, but he rose him from the worst or the, the, the lowest level of the hellfire to the highest level of the hellfire because of his intercession. But he couldn't save him. He was sad about that. And Allah had to send down the ayah. And they can let, 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 Yes, that verily you can't save who you love or who you want, who you who you love, but Allah saves who He chooses based on who they are, not by your love for them or not, or your you know, or, or, or lack of love for them. So the point is, is that we got to show not by us do what I say and not what I do because we around and we doing this and we looking at stuff we ain't supposed to be looking at this and that. Say no, you go over there, you read your book because I need you to be better than me. You no. You got to live your life right. The statement, oh, the statement of the Khatib al-Anbiya is the best statement I can ever give you for that. The statement of Shu'aib in Surah Tahud when he said, وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ أُخَالِفَكُمْ إِلَى مَا أَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ إِنْ أُرِيدُ إِلَّا الْإِصْلَاحَ مَسْتَطَعْتْ وَمَا تَوْفِيقِي إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ تَوَكَلْتُ وَإِلَيْهِ أُنِيبُ Allahu Akbar. Shu'aib was known as the Khatib al-Anbiya. And if you can read the richness of what he says in Surah Al-Khud, you understand why. His statements, which is so rich and so deep and so heart-touching. One of the statements he made to his people, he said, I'm not trying to get away from doing any, anything that I'm telling y'all to do. Y'all will see I'm practicing it the strongest. I just want goodness in a good situation to correct all of our situation. So whatever I see, you see, I tell y'all to do, I'm doing it twice as much. Like the Prophet saw him when they was all hungry. And the Sahabas lifting up their, 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 their joints and showing that they got a rock tied on their stomach to keep the, stop them from hunger, to tie the rock, the pressure of the rock holds their stomach. And then the Prophet Sallallahu he lifted up his joint and he had two rocks on his joint tied to one. Show low, I'm going through what y'all going through and then some. We together on this. So, and then he says, well, man, tawfiqi illa billah. And know what all is going through. I know for me and you. That my, the tawfiq is only by Allah. Like the Prophet said, well, man, adri, man, yuf'alu bi wa la bikum. I don't know what's going to happen to me or happen to y'all. Ilayhi tawa, alayhi tawa keltu. I put my, all my trust in him. Wa ilayhi unib. And to him I return all my affairs and humble myself. So the whole point is that you got to live that life. You got to be about that for people to see it. They don't want to hear it from you. They want to see it in your actions. The best thing that you can ever give somebody is an example. You can talk as much as you want. You could talk to cows come home, as they say. Talk to you blue in the face, as they say. But if they see your actions, actions speak a, a picture, speak a thousand words, your actions speak a million. So that's what it is. Anyway, let's continue on. So he says, And the proof of this situation that we all talked about is that the first thing that Aisha said when she started with this, she said she was raised 
in a fa- or in a situation where she had two righteous parents always showing a good example. Lem yadha min umara Aisha fatratan min al-zaman wahiya fi jahiliyatin aw shirkin aw jahlin aw kufrin aw fisqin. Okay? She, he said, so as a result, there's ne- there was never any period of time in her lifetime where she was in a situation of the where they, he saw the customs of the people of ignorance or any type of polytheism or any type of excuse me ignorance or any type of ungratefulness or any type of disbelief or any type of fisk which is the khuruj uh, any type of disobedience to Allah in any way so she said he says so we understand from this that the earlier you start being righteous people the better it's going to be for your children and the opposite is true. If I remember, rocks. Subhanallah. I'm Subhanallah. I mean, I'm I'm not good with this whole computer stuff, guys. So sometimes I I, I keep losing my place each time that I, I push this button, it goes back. Ah, that's why because I still have my cursor up there. All right, I got it now. I got it. I got it. Much better call for you, cool. All right, and then he they said he she said. Okay, so I can't find that point, but his this whole point was is that is that also. The opposite is true, that the longer it takes for you to get yourself together as parents, the longer or the more situation of difficulty that you might have with those children. I'm saying that because I've seen it by traveling to the Muslim lands. It's similar. Yo, it's so crazy because I just it just hit me right now as I'm talking. When we were growing up, right, our parents were the first generation into Islam, right? So. A lot of them stepped into Islam. And they already had children from before Islam, right? And then they would start having children in Islam that were halal children because the children before Islam was like from out of, you know, whatever. But then they started having righteous children inside Islam. And we was growing up born Muslim, but we will always have friends or relatives who you could tell the older ones were different than the younger ones because we grew up and all we knew was Dean. But the younger ones had seen their parents before all that and they knew other stuff. You know what I'm saying? So it will always be interesting the ones who will fall victim and this and that. And that's how we started realizing the difference between children that were born in wedlock and children born out of wedlock. Because in America, it don't mean nothing. You just have children. But we would see the ones who were born out of wedlock, even though they were Muslim because their parents became Muslim, we would see them go through more difficulty than we went through. We would see them be pulled to do things that we wouldn't have did. We would see somebody that's an all-A student and he get tricked to go rob banks uh, or he go get tricked to, to go and, and shoot somebody up or he get tricked to do something crazy. And it's like, yo, he's the best of us. But then it's like, oh, yeah, like everybody is different on different levels based on what they experienced when they were young and they were growing up with their parents. So they went through different things than we went through because our parents already had foundations. And I see the same thing even with my parents, with my, with my children. I got married at 18. My oldest child is 28 right now. He going to know me differently than these young ones, all the ones that's, that's, that's 14 and under. All of them, they, they don't, it's like, <laughs> it's like the story of Adam how Adam came into the world and he didn't even know all the things that Blease had done. He just coming in all innocent and he come into this whole situation of seeing Blease hating him and seeing the angels bowing to him and all that. He don't even know what's going on. That's how it is with my children when I look at them. They can't even imagine a situation where me and my wife wasn't married. 
the only way that they understand that it must have been because they know they got brothers that's two times older than them. So you got a brother that's 28, a, brother, a sister that's 24, 20, uh, a sister that's 23. And it's like, okay, that means you was married to, to, to their mom. But it's so different because we can't even imagine you as best at being with our mother. So my whole point is, is that just the difference based on when you were born and your parents' life is going to show. But then like the Sheikh is saying, based on when you start getting your act together, it's going to show in your children. And we've seen over and over again, they come to the Muslim world and they save all the young ones. But the ones that they came with that came when they was eight years old, nine years old, they came over here. They still got that mess in them from America. Before you know it, they can't leave the mess off this and that. Become teenagers. They want to travel back to America. By the time they're 20, they leaving and they, they doing interesting things. And it's like, all right, but I gave you this whole foundation, but it's different because they got the foundation a little later in the game. Whereas these guys, all they know is you on your top game, a game being righteous because you're in a Muslim land. So I'm saying all that to say it shows very, very clear, very clear. And so the earlier you get down to do what you got to do, the better it is for your children. Take that as your motivation. And the worse that you are, like one of the scholars of the seller said, they said that you can do well and you can get the reward for your children. They brought this in the tefsir of Surah the Kef, which you guys, I'm sure, read every week, where it said, Then the situation with Khidr, uh, when he's talking about the third situation that he had to go save, he said he saved the wall because it was for two, two, two young boys and their father, they're, they're, they were orphans, but their father was a righteous person before he passed. So their father left a treasure of knowledge and, 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 and wealth built buried under scrolls of knowledge and wealth buried under that under that uh that that wall as the scholars say because they said what kind of what did he leave as a treasure they said we believe he left knowledge because the law wants him to inherit the knowledge right it said the others said we believe it was wealth so the thing between the two is that it was knowledge and it was wealth so that they were using the wealth properly with the knowledge anyway and the tafsir says that a law protected this wall so that they could get older and then go and get with their inheritance was because he wanted good because of the parent was righteous. In the tafsir of the Bikithir, it brings one of the narrations that say, so we see by this that if you do right, even if you, Allah decides to take you back, he'll look after your children the right way because you were righteous with him. He said in the other one, then they brought statements about, they said that it can stretch the, your evil and your, 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 the wrong that you did can stretch through your family through seven generations down. And as soon as I read that seven generations down, I thought, wow, Ain't nobody, don't nobody want to hear this, but what may have we done or other people that made their, ch their children have to go through generations of slavery, generations of, of depression, generations of poverty, generations of whatever, because of things that our parents may have done. It may have just been a test. It may have been things that they did. You want to bring us a proof? A proof? One of the things I heard from the school, from the scholars that blew my mind was the situation with Bani Israel. Bani Israel is what? The children of Israel. Who is Israel? Israel is Yaqub. Who is Yaqub? Yaqub was the father of Yusuf. What happened to Yusuf? His 11 or 10 brothers and sisters, I mean his 10 brothers, plotted a plan and did something wrong and became righteous afterward. But it was a period of 40 years where they hadn't been able to make Toba properly. And so even though they corrected themselves and were righteous and died upon good, the effects of that showed in their offspring. For generations difficulty that they had to go through because of things that they did and they said they understood they was doing wrong but afterward they'd be salihim and as a result the effects of that spread through japan israel and it spreads through to this day so you don't know what you putting in place or putting in work because or putting into motion because of the fact that 
you just want to enjoy yourself. Like they used to say, they said, what kind of pleasure is this? When is the pleasure that's for a few minutes, but the punishment or the effects of it is so lost, so long standing or so long lasting. So the point is, is that for all you parents out there, myself first, everything I say is for myself first. All you parents out there, be careful to make sure that you're the best that you can be for you. Because we, I'm going to close out with this because it's called the van. We be on the join because we think we all hard rocks and stuff. We on the join of, I could deal with the what come with it. You get your little hard face and all right, whatever. I deal with it, whatever it is. I deal with it. What about your children dealing with it? What about your daughter dealing with it? Like the prophet said to the young boy, he said, give me permission to, to have intercourse or commit zina with whoever I want. He said, would you like that for your sister? Would you like that for your mother? Would you like that for your daughter? He said, well, they wouldn't like it for it either. They mentioned Sheikh Fozan brought from the scholars of the past. He said, this was the proof that if he would have did it, that he would understand that he made it. You did that with somebody's sister. Now it's going to happen to your sister. You did that to somebody's mother. Now it's going to happen to somebody's mother. You did that to your, somebody else's daughter. Don't be shocked when it's going to happen to your daughter. It's more than just you, Mr. Hard Rock. I had to learn that the hard way. It's more than just you, Mr. Hard Rock. You can be hard as you want. And then you start seeing your daughters going through difficulty. You start seeing your sons going through difficulty. And you know, Jazab and Jensen Amin is exactly because of some crap that you did to somebody. Be careful. All you got to do is live right. But if you don't, Allah's al Hakim and he told you to do this because he doesn't like ungratefulness for his slaves. That's how we know that this is not kufr of disbelief. This is kufr of ungratefulness because it's the opposite of ungratefulness is shukr. So in this situation, there's many situations in the Quran like this where the opposite of kufr is not iman. The opposite of kufr is shukr. So in this situation, is one of them. He doesn't like ungratefulness from his slaves. And if, and if you do uh, uh, thankful thankfulness, then this is what he's pleased with. Be thankful to Allah by raising these people on right and by being right. And if you aren't grateful, get what we get. May Allah keep us far away from it. All right. We got to go pray. Inshallah, till next time, we'll talk. Make dua for me. I make dua for you. Subhanakallah. Wa bihamdiklai. La lanta stakfiratu. We like. Salaamu alaykum. Salaamu alaykum. فَمَنِ الَّذِي يَدْعُو وَيَرْضَى